Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 68, Matte Boxes and Filters. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Thanks guys for diving into another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to the podcast, I want to thank you for listening today. Um, Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. We talk about all things video on this podcast, from storyboarding and script writing to sound design, shooting, editing, you name it, we discuss it on this podcast. We also have a great Facebook group called Filming with Josh. I want to encourage you to go and join it. It is the Filming with Josh group on Facebook. Uh, That is a fantastic group where we talk about the podcast and also a variety of other topics that all have to do with video production. I would love to have you go and join that group and come hang out with us on Filming with Josh on Facebook. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention episode 67. That is the previous episode to this one. Uh, that is quickly becoming my most listened to podcast episode. And, and if you haven't listened to it yet, I want to encourage you to go check it out. That episode features uh, Justin Blunt, an attorney at law, who hops on the podcast with me to talk about uh, video-related contracts. Justin and I kind of dove through some some things that are on my contract. He's, he's the attorney who's helped me create my contracts and has helped me through my legal work over the years. And so we kind of go through some different topics that are on my, uh, from straight out of my uh, contract and talk about other things as well. Things like video rights or can you have a logo in the background of whatever it is you're filming? We talk about film permits. We talk about why you need a contract. We talk about what constitutes a contract or what constitutes a signature. We talk about all different things in that episode. It's a little longer. I think it's like an hour and a half or something like that, but it is a super information-filled podcast, and I've gotten a lot of really great feedback from people who really felt like they learned a lot from it. So if you haven't listened to that yet, that's episode 67. is the episode right before this one, and it's the one that features my friend Justin Blunt. Uh, go check that one out, and if you have any questions or if you like it, let me know. Go to Filming with Josh on Facebook and comment there, and uh, let me know how you like that podcast. I'd love to chat more about it. Today's podcast topic is map boxes and filters. What made me want to dive into this podcast is I have been uh, slowly switching over to a different brand of matte box, and I've also been switching my filters to uh, some different filters. And I've been in this process for over a month now, and it's been on my mind almost every day. And so I thought, man, that would actually make a pretty good podcast topic. Uh, so I thought I'd dive into that today and chat about why I have matte boxes, what I use them for, what is a matte box used for in general, and uh, kind of talk a little bit about the filters I like to use with my matte boxes, um, filters I don't care about, just stuff like that. So um, today's today's topic may be boring to some and fascinating to others. I have no idea, but I'm just going to run with it and we're going to see where it goes. Um, so what is a matte box? Let's start by that because um, a lot of you may not know what a matte box is even used for, but I want to kind of chat about that today. I remember in, I don't remember, it was like the first year or two of my business, um, my first business, because I, I had a, a previous video production company before I owned Rustic River Media, uh, and the name of that was Broken Pine Outdoors. <laughs> and back when I started Broken Pine Outdoors many, many, many years ago, I bought a camera rig for my DSLR 
or really they were SLT cameras. They weren't DSLRs, but they weren't mirrorless. They were kind of this in-between camera that Sony used to make called SLT, single lens translucent. Um, basically they were DSLR cameras, that had mirrors, it's just that the mirrors were translucent, hence the T and single lens translucent. So I ran Sony SLT cameras. The specific models I had were A99 full frame and an A77 um, APS-C crop camera, but those were the ones I had, the A99, A77, and they're basically like, you know, a classic DSLR just with a translucent mirror. And when I bought them, you know, we all know that like mirrorless cameras and, and DSLRs, they're small and they're not really designed to go on the shoulder um, out of the box like an FS7 or FX9 would be. So when I bought one, I wanted to be able to shoulder mount and film from the shoulder with it. So what I did is I went and I bought this shoulder rig contraption online that came with this ginormous cage that my SLT camera went in and it came with 15 millimeter rails and a shoulder pad and two hand grips. It came with a cheap follow focus wheel and a matte box. And I didn't buy it for the matte box. I didn't even really buy it for the follow focus wheel. I mainly bought it for the uh, cage and the shoulder mounting mechanism because I wanted to be able to take my SLT cameras and run them from the shoulder. And it worked, but it was a cheaper system. It was an all-in-one thing that I bought online. I didn't even pay all that much money for it. Um, but it did come with a matte box, but the matte box was huge and heavy, big old metal matte box. And at the time, I didn't quite know exactly the whole point of a matte box was. I didn't exactly understand the purpose behind a matte box. I knew that the, the flags on the matte box helped to flag light or, or kind of block or cut light, but I didn't quite understand when or why I would use that. And I didn't even know at the time that matte boxes held filters. So I just had this big metal matte box that came with my kit and I used it just because it came with it. And to be honest, it did have one positive effect, even though I didn't know anything about it, <laughs> the one positive effect it did immediately have is it made my whole system look more professional. Um, when I showed up, I remember one of the, the biggest like corporate executives I had been in front of at that time was the CEO of Mattress Firm. And I remember going into his office and he commented on how professional my camera kit looked like. And But what's funny is, is it was a, it was this photo camera. It was a A99 full frame, basically DSLR little camera but because it was rigged out in a cage and had all these metal rails and shoulder mounts and, and all this stuff plus the matte box, it did not look like a photo camera. It looked like this giant film camera, even though it wasn't. And so that was, at the time, really the only reason I used the matte box. Uh, because outside of that, I didn't really understand what, what, what you would use one for. And when I started transitioning into doing more outdoor television years ago, I went away from using the matte box because it wasn't practical to carry around on some of the shoots I was doing. So I quit using it, and eventually I sold it. Well, several more years go by and my career things are growing and i've changed over my business and started rustic river media and have been doing that for several years and i decided i wanted to get a new matte box but this time i knew what a matte box did and so i want to talk to you about what a matte box does and then i'll talk to you about some of the ones i've owned and what i own now and then i'm going to talk a little bit about the filters that i use with them so first off what a matte box does is a matte box right out of the gate is this device that is rectangular. Most of you have probably seen them. 
and it's kind of rectangular looking. They make some squarish ones, but traditionally they're rectangular looking, and they either clamp on the front of your lens or they bolt onto 15 millimeter rails. That's the main two ways that you can mount them. Uh, some of them have swing away doors where you can mount them on rails, but to change lenses, you swing them away from the from the rails to change lenses and then swing them back and close them. Um, some of them just slide back and forth on the rails. And then again, some of them don't even use rails. You can just clamp them straight on to the front of your lens. Um, I typically prefer clamp on style matte boxes, but we'll get into that in a little bit. What the matte box does in front of your lens at that point is first off, matte boxes can be paired usually with flags. And what flags are is they are these thin pieces of metal or now a lot of them are made out of carbon fiber that can be positioned up or down usually, that's a top flag, or left and right. Those are flags that are on the sides. And what they do is they flag light or block light. And you can use it, for example, if you have a flare coming into your lens that you don't want. So let's say you're shooting toward the sun and the sun's kind of shining into your lens. And, and I, like to, I like to explain it like this. Think about when you're standing outside, no camera, just you, you're outside and you're looking at something, but the sun is kind of at an angle in your face and it's kind of making it hard to see. So you take your hand and you put it on top of your forehead and you use your hand to block the sun's light that's angling into your eyes, and now you can see what's in front of you. That's essentially what a top flag does. It, it does it for the sun, or if you have lights or something that are shining into the, the camera at a weird angle and make it to where uh, the lens is almost getting um, not really blown out, but kind of washed out. The image is starting to look washed out. Just like if you don't have a ball cap on or you don't have your hand in front of your face, that kind of washed out, I can't really see exactly everything that's there type of thing. That's what's happening when you don't have any sort of a flag and the lens is, uh, has a light shining from the top coming down on it at an angle. So a flag allows you, a top flag allows you to position the flag at an angle up or down to cut or block that light so it no longer is shining into your lens. And just like when you take your hand and put it on top of your forehead, you can now see better. And it brings back um, contrast and saturation to your image because that light is no longer washing things out. It also helps you control lens flare if you don't want flare. Sometimes you do want flare stylistically and sometimes you don't. Um, and, and flags help you control that. Side flags are kind of similar it's just that what side flags do is instead of blocking light from up or down, they block light from left or right. Now, most of the time when you're working outside or with natural light, like with the sun, a side flag isn't going to be as important unless your camera is to the left or the right of the sun. Most people don't fool around with side flags for that. Traditionally, when you're outside, a top flag is usually good enough. Where I personally think side flags come in handy are if you're shooting in like a studio and you have a, a bright light source like from the left or right and it's shining straight into the side of the lens and it's causing that same washed out look that the sun causes only it's coming from maybe a spotlight or a really bright um, light source that you've brought in for for you know, whatever it is that you're filming, whether it's an interview or whatever, maybe the light is coming in from the side of your lens and is doing the same thing that the sun would do from, from the top of your lens. It's just only coming from the side. And the sun can come from the side at that angle. I, I shot an interview a few years ago where the sun did create an issue. It was coming through the side window 
of a house and we were not able, we didn't have time to put up scrims to block the light or to control it, diffuse it. So the light, when it came, when the sun rose, the light kind of came in at a weird angle and kind of took all the contrast out of one of my cameras, my B cam. And it, I could have, if I had a side flag, could have blocked it. Um, so side flags do work and help with the sun as well. It's just that nine times out of 10, a top flag's good enough for outs, outside stuff. And side flags are kind of there for a more advanced or more complicated things. That's why you'll see a lot of smaller, more lightweight map boxes that have a top flag, but not a left or right flag. Whereas like studio or bigger, more expensive map boxes will have both a top flag and side flags so that they can control light from every direction. Um, but most people can get by with the top flag and be pretty good. Personally, I think a top flag for my work is fine. Very rarely is the sun or an external light source coming from the side of the lens in, a, in such a way that it's washing out my image. And even if it is, um, you can go online and order cinefoil. I have cinefoil. It's basically black colored foil that you can use to block light. And so in those rare circumstances, like I explained a minute ago, where the sun might be, or an external light source might be washing your image out from the left or right, I'd just reach into my bag, grab some cinefoil, and just literally wrap it around the edge of the side of the lens. And to me, that works good enough in a pinch, because nine times out of 10, I don't need a side flag. That one time I do, cinefoil comes into play. But that's what a matte box does um, when it when, in terms of light control. The flags give you the ability to control flare or to control your image from looking like it's being washed out from the sun or from a bright light source com when coming in at an angle. So that's one of the things a matte box does. You can also take that same, if you have a top flag, for example, you can take that flag and fold it down over the hood of the matte box and use it to protect your lens as well. So it also acts as basically a large lens cap. Now you might be asking, why not just use a lenses, a, like a lens hood to block light instead of uh, a matte box with a flag? Wouldn't that do the same thing? You know, lenses come with lens hoods. And yeah, some of them will do a good job of that, but sometimes a lens hood's not enough. Think about a wider lens. A lot of times wide lenses come with lens caps, or not lens caps, but lens hoods that are kind of shallow because if they're deep, then they will the the lens hood will actually get into the frame of the image so they can't come like a wider lens for example cannot come with a a really deep or long lens hood without getting in the frame of the shot whereas a top flag sitting on a matte box usually sits above the lens and out of the frame enough where you can use it to block light more than what a lens hood can probably get by with on its own plus lens hoods cannot do the second thing I'm about to talk about, which is hold filters. And that's basically the second aspect of a matte box is the ability to hold filters. Now, when I say filters, I'm not talking about, you know, screw on filters that go in front of your lens. I'm talking about rectangular or square or circular filters designed to go in matte boxes. Traditionally, matte boxes take four by four or four by 5.65 rectangular filters. There are bigger filters like six by sixes. If you're shooting on ginormous full frame or bigger um, cameras with ginormous lenses that are really, really wide, you know, you might need to get with a six by six or something like that to be able to cover the entire uh, front element of a lens. But most 
most of the time what you're going to see on set for a video production shoot is going to be 4x4 or 4x5.65 filters. 4x5.65 filters are definitely the most common, and that's mainly what I have. In fact, that is all I have at this point is uh, 4x5.65. So it's a rectangular filter that goes into the front of the matte box or slides in via a tray um, from the top going into the matte box. And what these filters do is a wide variety of things. It all depends on the filter. You can get straight ND filters that um, are come in like one stop, two stop, three stop, four stop ND, all the way up to 16 stops. Um, so you basically you can get straight NDs. Um, you can get graduated NDs, which are ND at the top and clear at the bottom so that you can, if let's just say you're shooting a sunrise time lapse and you want to get more dynamic range, um, you can use a graduated ND to add ND to the skyline, but have uh, a clear filter on the landscape. And then what that allows you to do is darken the sky, but without darkening the landscape so that you can shoot a sunrise time lapse or even just a, a panning sunrise shot where the sun is shining into the, 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 into the lens and be able to have a lot higher dynamic range um, without having to do it in post. And it's more effective and looks more natural if you use a, a graduated ND. They have hard graduated NDs, they have soft graduated NDs, they have blender graduated NDs. Those are just basically different styles. But you'll hear people call these graduated NDs or grads. That's kind of a short uh, way to say graduated ND. Other filters you can get are diffusion filters. You've probably heard online, if you've been doing video for any amount of time, someone mentioned mist filters. <clears throat> mist filters are a type of diffusion filter, and they come in different strengths. You can get uh, mist filters, which have like a, a whitish mist on the lens or on the filter that goes in front of your lens on the matte box. You can also get black pro mist, which instead of having a white mist, it has kind of a, a black speckled mist. You can get gold colored mist filters that add diffusion and kind of tint your image a little warm. There's all different kinds of, of diffusion filters out there, and they come at different strengths. You can have a 1 16th, which has just a tiny bit of mist, or you can have um, all the way up to one or two or more um, in, in terms of diffusion and have like crazy amounts of diffusion. Most of the time, you'll still see people using 1 16th, 1 8th, or one quarter or maybe one half. Those are the typical strengths you will see, but they do go up from there. Um, and and what a diffusion filter does is it softens the image. You know, we're shooting with 4K and 8K images today, uh, 6K. Uh, if you have a Blackmagic Ursa Mini Pro 12K, you might be shooting 12K. And what that does is it's recording at such a high resolution that it's almost too much. It's too much detail. It makes skin, for example, look too rough because you're capturing every single pore on a woman's face. You know that she doesn't want that. So you can use diffusion filters to kind of knock that sharpness back down and to soften the image. They also bloom highlights, which means if you're sh shooting a lamp, for example, instead of the lamp, let's just say it's a light bulb and, th and there's not a lamp shade, for example, instead of the light bulb just looking like a light bulb, it'll have like a little halo around it. That's called blooming or a halo effect. And it looks really pretty. And the more diffusion you have, the more that halo effect or blooming is. And same thing with skin. The more diffusion you have, the softer it gets. Now, in my opinion, it can get too overly done 
And I've definitely seen a lot of projects where people are using one half mist filters, for example, and to me it looks way too much. But you could use a 1 16th or a 1 8th, that's typically what I use, and use them on almost every project if you want. And it does a great job of softening skin and softening objects um, and taking some of that digital harshness away but still maintaining a lot of detail and then adding a little bit of halo or blooming around light sources and it just has this beautiful effect. And if you get, like I said, if you get ones that have like gold gold colored mist or gold flakes in it, then it does the same thing but adds a little bit of natural warmth to the image. Um, if you do the white mist, it does the same thing but it kind of lifts the shadows a little. If you do black mist, it kind of keeps the shadows more contrasty like they naturally would be but still diffuse um, uh, the skin and still uh, bloom the highlights. So there's all different kinds of diffusion filters out there. You've got glamour glass, you've got uh, mist filters, you've got scarf dust and um, PA tears, which is a new one that came out. Um, there's all kinds of different ones. There's uh, black satin, uh, there's Hollywood black pro mist. There's all kinds of different diffusion filters out there. And that's the beauty with a matte box is you can experiment with all these different kinds of filters. And yeah, you can buy them um, screw on ones as well, but you can stack and get away with a lot more and have access to a lot more filters if you're using a matte box. Beyond diffusion filters, you also have access to things like circular polarizers. And if you have a matte box that has a, uh, like a roto tray, um, you can put in a 138 millimeter round polarizer and you can polarize your image. Now you might ask, well, why not just add a polarizer to the front of your lens, a screw-on polarizer? Well, I'm glad you asked. The reason why is because if you're using a matte box, you can stack multiple filters depending on how many filters your matte box can take. I have a matte box right in front of me right now. It is a Misfit Atom Pola Plus, and I can stack three filters in it. So I could put um, an ND filter and a mist filter and a polarizer because it has a circular tray in it, and I can run a polarized, misted, ND filtered shot all at one time. And so you're not going to really be able to do that on, on, a, on, a, on a bare lens with screw-on filters. Yeah, you can technically stack filters <clears throat> by screwing them into each other, but you're going to start running into vignetting issues because the the frames of the filters will start start to stick out in front of the lens and you'll start to see it in your shot and it will vignette your shot where you'll actually be getting the edges of the filters in your frame if you start screwing them on and stacking them. Plus, if you ever want to use cinema glass, you're not going to have access to front filter threads because most cinema glass does not have front filter threads. So you cannot physically screw filters on to the front of a cinema lens. You have to use a matte box if you're using most traditional cinema lenses. So that's another reason why to use a matte box. Beyond that, you can also create variable NDs. You could take a linear rectangular polarizer and a round circular polarizer and pair them together in a matte box and now you've just created um, a variable ND. And again, if you have multiple filter slots in your matte box, you could create a, uh, a variable ND and have a mist filter in the front. So you can use matte boxes for all kinds of different combinations of, of diffusion filters and polarizers and NDs and graduated NDs and variable NDs and so on and so forth. You can also buy streak filters which replicate anamorphic flares um, Tiffin makes some good ones. Schneider makes some good ones. You can buy um, 
gosh, all kinds of stuff. They even have a filter that has confetti looking stuff on it. So when you shine it into light sources, it creates this like uh, weird effect where you have all these different color lights, like little blotches of light going everywhere, creating, I don't know, this really interesting look that you could use if you're shooting a, uh, a rave or something. <laughs> I don't know. But the point is, is that there's literally thousands of filters on the market that you can buy for a map box and stack them and create all different kinds of combinations to achieve different results and different looks. And to me personally, this is the biggest draw of a map box is having access to all of these different things. I mean, a lot of times I'll take my FX6, which has, which has internal ND, and I'll just throw a lens on the front and I'll go shoot. And that's fine. But sometimes, like I just did a shoot in, in Nacogdoches, Texas for Stephen F. Austin State University this past week, and I wanted to go for something a little prettier, a little softer, a little more cinematic looking. So I took my, um, I took my lenses and I threw matte boxes on them, on my A and my B cam, and I threw a 1-8 Black Pro Mist in the front, and it knocked the sharpness off the image, bloomed the highlights, and made it just look just prettier. It just made the image look prettier. And that, that was achieved by using different filters on my map boxes. So you could change up your looks and achieve different things using map box filters. And again, unlike filters that you screw in the front of your lens, you can stack them without negative effects, you know, usually. And you can use them on cinema glass, which doesn't even have front filter threads to begin with. Or, and there are other, like there are photo lenses that don't have front filter threads. A great example is um, one of Sony's best lenses right now is actually their 12 to 24 F 2.8 G Master. They have a 12 to 24 F4, but I'm talking about the 12 to 24 2.8 G Master. That's a fantastic lens, but it, it's so wide that it cannot have front filter threads. So if you want to diffuse that or, or add ND to that, the only way you can is with a matte box. So there are some lenses where you can only use a matte box. So matte boxes are great in terms of being able to hold filters and stack filters to achieve all kinds of different results. And then again, on top of that, you've got the top flags or even some of them with side flags to be able to control um, or, or flag off light and flare. So that's really what a matte box does. And then thirdly, this is kind of a unwritten rule and, and, and I don't think you should buy a matte box for this reason. I know people who literally do buy them for this reason and this reason only. This is not why I own one. But the unwritten rule and why some people buy them, it's just because they look cool. When you see a matte box, it does look like something you would see more on a film set. And it can make your camera just look a little bit more professional. But I don't think that's a reason to buy a matte box. I certainly don't use them for that. I do lots and lots of, of, of good budget shoots where I'm you know, not using a matte box. They're still paying me a lot of money and I don't feel the need to throw that in front of my lens to make me look professional. Um, I just use them if I need them. And when I need them, it's to block light or to add filters. So with that said, let's start talking about some some brands of matte boxes and ones that I really like. I'm not going to go into every brand or anything, but I'll tell you some, some popular ones. Probably the most popular brands for matte boxes are Vocus, Airy, and Bright Tangerine. Um, on the biggest sets, you'll typically see Airy matte boxes. Um, they are kind of your industry standard. Bright Tangerine, however, is really caught up with Airy and makes matte boxes that are very comparable to Airy and that can even take the same filter trays as Airy so that they are compatible with each other. And you can um, 
see a lot of a lot of productions who have map boxes by Bright Tangerine instead of Airy now because they're very comparable and can use a lot of the same parts interchangeably. And so Bright Tangerine may not have uh, the Airy name behind it, but they have definitely made a mark for themselves in the industry and you will find them on the biggest of sets as well. And Vocus is another one that's really popular among a lot of shooters. I see a lot of Europeans where, uh, using Vocus um, map boxes. I don't have a Vocus map box. I don't have an Airy map box. Um, I do like Bright Tangerine. I'll get that, into that in a minute. Um, but I do have some parts and accessories by Airy and Vocus. They're great companies. Um, but you'll see a lot of their map boxes and a lot of Bright Tangerines on set. Um, getting more into the uh, mid to lower budget, you'll find your your Polar Pro makes, they make a map box. The Base Camp is what it's called. Tilta has some different options. Small Rig has some very cheap and affordable options if you're just looking to get your first map box. Um, and so there's a lot of other brands out there that are much cheaper than Airy, Vocus, or Bright Tangerine that can also get you started in the map box world. I'll talk a little bit about some ones I've used uh, recently. A few years ago, I wanted to try out, just out of curiosity, uh, Polar Pro's um, base camp map box system. So I bought two of them. They're reasonably priced. You might look at them and think they're expensive, but some map boxes like can get up to two or $3,000. So Polar Pro's, I think their base camp is like five or 600 bucks, and it comes with like a two to five stop VND um, out of the gate, which is pretty affordable in my opinion. Um, I don't think that's that expensive for a map box. And, and now if, if you're comparing it to small rig and or, or Tilta and that have some that are around $100, yeah, you might think that's expensive. But when you compare it to the big boys, it's not that expensive. And I just wanted to try them out. So I bought them and I bought some of their filters. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll give you my honest thoughts on the base camp. I think that they're actually pretty well designed. They're really lightweight and I like how you can add a third tray. So um, basically the base camp core has a circular um, filter holder on the back and then it has a, um, a filter holder in front of that that takes um, their proprietary filters and then you can add a third stage um, by just clamping on and twisting a couple of knobs. A third stage, it's an extra... Um, few hundred dollars to buy a third stage, but you can add a third stage adapter so you can run up to three filters at once with it. Um, and the way you put it apart and take it to get, take it apart and put it together is, is, is actually pretty well thought out. I think personally, um, the hood of the matte box, which is the part that comes out in front of the, uh, lens filters. Sometimes you want to remove that and remove the flag if you're putting your matte box on a gimbal, like your camera on a gimbal, because it cuts weight, um, making it easier to balance uh, on the gimbal. So I do like that the base camp, you can remove the front flag or the top flag in the uh, hood very easily. Um, and so it's like really well thought out, really well light, uh, really lightweight. The problem though with the base camp system there's really two things. Um, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with the least, and then I'll go with the worst problem. The least problem is Polar Pro is not exactly like a pro brand. To some of you, that may not matter. You may not care. But if you are someone who is wanting to do DP work for larger production companies, you know, market yourself as being hireable as a DP to go shoot for other production houses. Um, sometimes 
the brands and things that you have kind of do matter. And I know that sounds silly, but I'll just use this as an example. A lot of YouTubers will run Polar Pro filters, Polar Pro map boxes. They'll run um, like Freewell monitors and stuff. And I know this doesn't sound like a big deal, but that's, you know, you'll see a lot of that. You'll see a lot of Blackmagic pocket cinema cameras and stuff all in the kind of YouTuber type of world, Sony A7III's, things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're wanting, if you're like calling a production house close to you, like let's pretend I was calling a production house in Austin and I was saying, hey, you know, I own Rustic River Media, but I also uh, am hireable as a freelance DP if you, if you guys ever needed a DP for a shoot or even just a camera op. If I was to call and they were, and tell them that, and they were to ask me what kind of gear I own, if I told them I had, you know, a, a Freewell monitor and a Blackmagic Pocket 6K camera and a Polar Pro matte box, it's not that those are bad items. It's just that those aren't industry standard brands and they're not industry standard items. And they may not be as compatible or comparable to what they have. But if you call them and you say, hey, I've got a Canon C300 Mark III or C500 Mark II or Sony FX6 or FX9, something like that, something that's really... Um, respected brand wise and and camera model wise in the industry and then you tell them you know I run you know uh, I run small HD monitors bright tangerine or airy matte boxes I've got um, Tiffin filters you know and you start naming off like industry standard brand of stuff they might take you a little more seriously. And again, I know, like guys, I understand that some of you listening to this podcast may think that's silly, but it, it it's a real thing in video when you run into people or to other companies that are just used to working with guys who have certain caliber of equipment. And whether that equipment's better or not, sometimes just having industry standard brands of stuff can make a difference. So if you buy a Polar Pro matte box, you're using a brand that's more associated with a YouTuber crowd. And beyond that, the filters, and this is the second part that's even worse, is the filters are proprietary. So you can only ever in the Basecamp matte box use Polar Pro's filters. They're not a standard size. They can't run a 4x4 filter. They can't run a 5x5 point, or 5x4, filter. They can't run those. They can only run... Polar Pro's brand of filters, and that's it. And so if you have other filters that you want to buy and try or use, you're out of luck. You can only use Polar Pro's. And Polar Pro does not make all that many filters. They do have solid NDs. They do have variable NDs. They do have some streak filters and some mist and some grads. But that's it. You can't you can't put a Black Pro mist filter in a, in a, in a uh, Polar Pro matte box. You can't put um, a rainbow streak filter in there. You cannot put, um, (laughs) uh, um, a, uh, a glamour glass or anything like that in there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you cannot put in that map box. And if you go on set or you are being hired as a DP for a production house and they want, they have, you know, some filters that they want to use. Like, let's just say they're like, Hey, we really want to use some black satins for this shoot. You can't do it with your matte box. You have to say, hey, sorry, I have a Polar Pro matte box. Doesn't work with any other brand of filters. I can't use your filters. Do you have another matte box I can borrow? (laughs) You see what I mean? And so if you're just, you know, 
freelancing on your own or just doing some small jobs or you're just shooting for yourself or doing weddings or real estate, that may not matter. But if you ever want to DP for other production houses, that is something you want to think about. Um, if you have a more industry standard brand of Matbox that's recognizable, that they know and respect, and that can take industry standard brand of filters, that's a huge pro. And so I personally think Polar Pro missed the mark here because even though they're not an industry standard brand, they could have gained some market traction because their design is actually really good if they took industry standard brand of filters, but they will never gain market traction with their process of, hey, we're just gonna force everyone to use our system and our system only. Um, and I get it, they did it because they think it's a good business move, but I actually think it's counterintuitive because people that wanna buy their map boxes but have already already own other brand of filters or want to be able to use other brand of filters are not gonna buy them. And beyond that, you know, pros who wanna use them and put them in their system and be able to market themselves as DPs are gonna find out that that's a problem later on down the road when they can't use filters of other production houses that are hiring them uh, for DP work. So for me, in my opinion, I think that's a huge drawback. So as, even though it's a well-designed product, in my opinion, I don't think it's worth the buy unless you never plan to DP out for any other work and you don't care about using other brand of filters. If you're fine with being locked in the Polar Pro system, you're happy with what they make, then that's fine. Um, but it is definitely something, something to think about. And that's really why I, I listed mine for sale recently um, because I just didn't want to deal with that anymore. Before I bought the Polar Pros, I had my eyes set on a bright tangerine uh, Misfit Atom when it first came out. And then I got my eyes set on their Misfit Kick as well as their Misfit Pola Plus, which used to be called the Clash 138. Now it's called the Pola Plus. And I'm going to get into some of those matte boxes. First off, I'm a huge fan of Bright Tangerine products. If you've never heard of Bright Tangerine, they're a European company that makes freaking awesome products. If you look at my two FX6s today, you will find parts from two companies, Bright Tangerine and Wooden Camera. That's typically the parts and accessories I use. I have some other brands. I have like Zacuto Z Finders and, and Z Trigger Grips and stuff like that. But most of what you'll find on my cameras is either Bright Tangerine made or Wooden Camera. Both my FX6s have Bright Tangerine top plates. Um, both of them have uh, bright tangerine rail, 15 millimeter rails, uh, which are made out of titanium. They're amazing, lightweight rails, about as light as carbon, but more durable than carbon. Um, you'll find like my, my FX6B cam has a NATO rail handle made by bright tangerine. I just have a lot of parts from them and I really, really like their parts. They're well thought out, well designed, well engineered, relatively lightweight, but extremely strong and durable. And they make freaking awesome map boxes. One of the most popular map boxes they make is called the Misfit Atom. It also happens to be one of the cheapest map boxes. I think it actually is the cheapest map box they make. Um, they typically retail for around $500, but if you pay attention, you can find them on sale on Black Friday deals for $250 to $300, which is pretty affordable. In fact, Earlier, I told you that the base camp by Polar Pro is $600. You can get the Misfit Atom for less money than that. Now, it doesn't come with a 2 to 5 ND, but we'll get into that in a minute. So the Misfit Atom is a clamp-on style matte box, but it can also be mounted via 15 millimeter rails. I said at the beginning of the podcast that I like to run clamp-on matte boxes over rail-mounted matte boxes, and here I'll tell you why. First off, I just like 
the way that clamp-on matte boxes go on the lens. It's super easy. You literally just slide on, on the lens and clamp them on. Um, most lenses, if you're running photo glass, will need a thread plate adapter that screws into the front of your lens, and then you clamp onto that. Um, but if you have a standard size cinema glass, you don't even need that. It'll, you know, if you have a, a cinema glass with an outer outer uh, outer diameter of 114 millimeters, for example, most clamp-on matte boxes will literally just clamp directly to it. Um, but if, again, if you have d smaller sizes than that, you might need an adapter. But the point is, is you you take like your photo glass, you screw on this thread plate adapter, and then you just clamp the matte box to it. I have thread plate adapters for all my lenses, and I have lens caps that go over the thread plate adapters. So I just keep my lenses in my bag with the thread plates already on them. So when I'm ready to mount the matte box, I just literally pop a lens on the camera and just clamp the matte box straight to it. That's it. Clamps right to the front of it. Easy peasy. I can have a, a lens and a matte box mounted to my camera in literally seconds, probably 10 seconds. I mean, it's just that fast. So that's one of the reasons I like them is they're really quick and easy to put on. Another reason I like them is I don't always want to run 15 millimeter rails. Uh, on my FX6A cam, I do typically have 15 millimeter rails on there. Um, I use them for things like fall focus wheels and whatnot. Um, but on my B cam, that's my, my FX6 B cam that's going on a gimbal. I don't want to fool around with 15 millimeter rails. It's more size and weight. Um, and I don't want to put 15 millimeter rails on my mirrorless cameras. So the clamp on matte boxes allow you to use these matte boxes on any camera. It doesn't matter if it's your A cam, your B cam, your C cam. It doesn't matter. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it had rails or not. You can just clamp them straight to the lens and move on with your day. So that's one of the reasons I like clamp on matte boxes. The other reason I like clamp on matte boxes is they have... Um, the ability to move with the lens. If you are using like a 24 to 70, for example, it's one of my 24 to 8 is one of my go-to lenses for run and gun work. And if you're zooming with a 24 to 70, as you zoom in or out, the lens physically moves in or out. Well, if you have a clamp on matte box and you clamp it to your rails, and then you have that mounted via a donut or something like that to the lens, then as you zoom the lens in or out, it becomes a little bit of a problem because the matte box isn't moving with the lens. And so with a clamp-on style matte box, if you're using a zoom lens that zooms externally, as you zoom in or out, the matte box just moves with the lens in or out. So to me, I personally like clamp-on matte boxes. And the Misfit Atoms can be mounted via 15 millimeter rails, but they also can be mounted via clamp-on style. So you get the choice of using either one. And they are freaking lightweight. Oh man, they're lightweight. And they hold up to two filters. If you get the regular Misfit Atom, if you get the Pola Plus version, then they can hold two filters. Plus, um, they can also hold a um, a 138 millimeter round uh, filter in the back. So there's two Misfit Atoms, the one that holds just the two filters in the front. And then there's the Misfit Atom Pola Plus, which holds two filters in the front plus round filter in the back. Um, these matte boxes can hold 4x4 or 4x5.65 filters, so industry standard filters. And again, 138 millimeter filters on the backside. And you can use them in, uh, in, in any, any environment you could think of. Because they're lightweight, they make for great matte boxes on drones, gimbals, sliders, things like that where weight is a consideration. They're lightweight for handheld work. I love that. You can get bigger, heavier matte boxes, but... In today's age, we're kind of making equipment smaller and lighter. And so I love the fact that the Misfit Atom line from Bright Tangerine, whether you get the Atom or the Pola Plus, uh, Atom Pola Plus version, both of them are so lightweight and stay true to that whole industry standard, let's 
let's make things smaller and lighter, which is a good thing. Sometimes you want to add weight to your camera, you know, if you're handheld shooting and stuff. Um, but there is a point where uh, where you have enough weight and it, and you don't have like it doesn't have to weigh 70 pounds to have smooth handheld shots. So if you can you know make your camera reasonably lightweight and 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 one of those ways be by having a lighter weight matte box for handheld shooting, then I think that's a, a, the way to go. So I really like the Misfit Atom line. I currently have um, an Atom and I have uh, an Atom Pola Plus version. I have both. Uh, I use the regular Atom for my gimbal camera just because it's the lightest of the two atoms. And then I use the Pola Plus version on my, my A-cam. Um, and I use that so I can add round filters to the backside. Um, Mis the Misfit line, Bright Tangerine, they also have the uh, Misfit Kick and the Misfit Kick 360. Those are bigger matte boxes that take filter trays rather than just pop the filter straight in the matte box. You put them in a tray and then put the tray in the matte box. Um, there's pros and cons to using trays. I did not get the Misfit Kick. I actually really had my eye on it to begin with because it's a little bit bigger, um, takes Rota, Rota Pola trays, something I'm not going to get into on this podcast. Um, but the um, the downside for me is I it was a little bigger and heavier than the Misfit Atom line and the Atom Pola Plus line. And I just wanted to save the size and weight. And I felt like the Pola Plus Misfit, um, Pola Plus version, uh, honestly, I felt like it, it could do an, everything the Misfit could, could do for me, So, uh, but at a smaller, lighter weight and a cheaper price. So that's what I went with. Um, I, I want to mention something else that a matte box like the Pola Plus can do. So my Pol Misfit Atom Pola Plus matte box, I said that it can take two filters in the front and a round filter in the back. Well, an example of a round filter is actually what you call a diopter. If you don't know what that is, um, diopters are used when you're shooting with anamorphic lenses. When you shoot with anamorphic lenses, anamorphic lenses are beautiful. They create really pretty stylized images. Not something I really want to get into on this podcast. It's a whole conversation in and of itself. But um, anamorphic lenses can't focus really close to objects usually. So if you're filming with anamorphic glass and you want to get a tight or a close-up shot of something, you need to add what's called diopters. Think of it as like a close-up filter or a, a magnifying glass almost, if you will. So it's just a piece of glass that goes in a matte box in front of your anamorphic lens that allows you to focus closer um, than what the minimum focus distance of your anamorphic lens can, can do on its own. So I love the fact that the Misfit Atom Pola Plus version can take not only 138 millimeter round filters, but it can also take 138 millimeter um, diopters, which is the industry standard size of diopter. So if I wanted to rent, I don't own, but if I wanted to rent anamorphic glass for a project, I can put diopters in my matte box and be able to um, focus close with the anamorphic lenses. So that's something that's really beneficial of matte boxes that have round filter tray options is the ability to not only use round filters, but also to be able to use diopters. I think that's a huge pro <clears throat> when you're, you're looking at matte boxes, if you ever want the ability to use anamorphic glass, which I do. Um, Atlas, uh, for example, has a great line of uh, anamorph lightweight anamorphic lenses coming out that are really well designed. You can rent a, a set of anamorphics from um, 
from uh, Lens Rentals, these these new ones that are coming out, you'll be able to rent a set of these lenses for $1,000 for a week, which if you have like a music video or um, a real stylized commercial or documentary project you're working on and you want to use anamorphics, you know, you could bill your clients $1,000 for the rental fee and rent these anamorphic lenses for a shoot. And if your matte box can take diopters, then you can fo- fo- focus close with your rental um, lens and you can rent diopters. So you don't even have to own them. I don't own diopters, but I would rent them with the anamorphic glass. And so it's great to be able to have that option. And so that's something to consider if you're going to be buying a matte box and you're thinking about future proofing. Um, one of the things you want to think about is, hey, am I ever wanting to use anamorphic lenses? Because if I am, I may want to get a matte box that can take 138 millimeter round filters so I can also use diopters. So that's something to consider when you're shopping for a matte box. So with that all being said, um, there are a lot of brands that make matte boxes. My suggestion is if you're just starting out and you want to try one out, buy one of the Tilta or the small rig matte boxes, try it out, get used to it, learn what you like and what you don't like. Um, but if you're wanting to invest in a matte box system, it doesn't matter what brand you go with or what um, what price range you go with. I just want to encourage you to whatever you do, get ones that take industry standard filters so that when you start buying filters for your matte box, you will not be stuck into any single system the way you would be if you bought a Polar Pro base camp, for example. Polar Pro is not the only company that does this. I'm just using them as an example because I have owned their matte boxes. <clears throat> so in my opinion, if you're just getting started, you don't need to spend a ton of money on a matte box. You can get an affordable one just to get one, to get used to it, maybe start experimenting with filters. You can rent filters. I own filters, and I'm going to talk about those in a second. But if you have filters you want to experiment with or just use for a specific shoot, you can rent filters from companies like um, uh, like Lens Rentals and, and, and others. So if you want, you can buy your first matte box, get something affordable, rent some filters, try them out, experiment, see what you like, what you don't like, what works for you. And then over time when you're ready, then you can step up to a, a bigger, more reputable brand. But just please take my advice and buy one that can use any any industry standard size of filters so that you are not stuck into any brand's ecosystem. That's just my biggest piece of advice for you. Now, I want to go into a little bit more about my filters, the ones that I use, why I use them, etc. So to start, I'm going to just say this. I own two matte boxes and I own two sets of filters. One set for one matte box and one set for the other. That way my A cam and my B cam can match for a project or so that I can grab my A cam bag or my B cam bag and both bags have a matte box with a full set of filters in it. So it doesn't matter which bag I grab for a shoot, I know I'm gonna have a matte box with accompanying filters um, for everything I'm gonna run into. And I can also hand my B-cam to a contractor, like if I contract a a B-cam operator for a project, and they'll have their own matte box and set of filters for the shoot. So I have two matte boxes and two sets of filters, um, and both sets are exactly the same. So I'll just kind of walk you through what I have. Um, I run seven filters for a single matte box, not at one time, obviously, but um, I have seven filters that I own per each matte box. Uh, and again, it's the same, both matte boxes have the same exact filter. So I'll just w- run you through one set. 
The matte box filters I own are, I'm gonna name them and then I'll go into what I use them for. I own a clear filter, I own a three-stop solid ND, a six-stop solid ND, and you can stack those to create a nine-stop ND. I own a graduated three-stop ND. I told you earlier what a grad filter, graduated filter is, so I have a three-stop grad filter. I own a circular polarizer. We'll get into that in a minute. I own a 1 16th black pro mist, and I own a 1 8th black pro mist. So again, clear filter, three-stop ND, six-stop ND, three-stop graduated ND, circular polarizer, 1 16th black pro mist, 1 8th black pro mist. Those are the seven filters I own. If I wanna use anything outside of that, I rent it. That's kind of my philosophy. So I'm gonna go into a little bit more about the filters. I'm gonna start with the NDs actually. So if you listen to this podcast or if you follow me on the Filming with Josh page, you might've heard me mention before that I hate variable NDs. I do. The only quality variable ND I've ever used are the ones that are built inside of Sony cameras, the electronic variable NDs. That's it. I've owned so many brands of variable NDs, ranging from matte box variable NDs to screw-on variable NDs, and they're all garbage. I have never, ever tried a variable ND at any price point that does not have negative effects. I don't care what the YouTubers say. I don't care what the, the companies that sell them say about their filters. You know, A lot of them say, oh, we don't have any color shifts or any vignetting or any cross-polarization issues. That's bull crap. I've owned tons of them, all kinds of brands, and they always have the same problems. There's color shift, usually pretty bad color shift that's hard to fix in post. You have vignetting issues. You'll have cross-polarization issues. You'll have weird flares that they create for whatever reason. There's all kinds of problems with variable NDs. And if you do any kind of Googling and you dive into some Reddit threads, you'll see a lot of people mentioning how you'll never see variable NDs for the most part on big budget shoots. And that's actually true. Most of the time, when you see a big budget shoot, you will not see a variable ND. Now, there are some special use cases where you might, but most of the time you will not. And it's because most cinematographers know that variable NDs create problems with the image. And that is why solid NDs are far more popular on bigger budget shoots. Now, if you are running and gunning and you are shooting weddings and stuff, and you are trying to stay lightweight, and you're trying to shoot fast, I get it, man, I do. VNDs have a place, and I do own a set of Lee VNDs, a 2-5 to and a 6-9 to 82mm screw-on VNDs by Lee Filters that I do use on my mirrorless cameras, my Sony A1s, when I'm keeping a very low profile and I'm running and gunning. But if I'm shooting any sort of quality project for a company or for a brand, if I'm shooting a commercial, if I'm shooting a dock, if I'm shooting anything outside of a run and gun handheld type of shoot with a mirrorless camera, then I'm using either solid NDs or I'm using the built-in NDs on my FX6s. I can't stand VNDs. To me, the only time to use them is on a run and gun shoot. And even then, I will typically still run straight NDs because I cannot stand the negative impact that VNDs have. I can spot, I can spot a VND shot from a mile away. I was watching the hunting channel, one of the hunting channels the other day. I think it was like the outdoor channel or something. 
Actually, that's a lie. I don't even have I don't even have cable TV. So I was watching an outdoor show that had an episode they put online on YouTube. Um, I think I think the show was become one or something like that. They posted something that popped up in my news feed and automatically started playing. And I was sitting there drinking a cup of coffee that morning and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna watch the first minute of this. And the first thing I noticed immediately was a VND shot. I could tell it was a VND shot from a mile away because they were in, I, I can't, it was like elk country or something, but in the sky. And so they had like a shot of the mountain or a hillside or something like that. And, and the sky was filling up half the frame. And it's not that there's anything wrong with a shot, like like that they did necessarily anything wrong. It's just that I could immediately spot that it was a VND they were using because part of the sky was kind of darker and then part of the sky was lighter and kind of brownish tinted. And it's that's a classic sign of cross-polarization from a VND. I could spot it a mile away. And I knew instantly when I saw it. And it just makes me want to throw up because as someone someone who spends like a lot of time and effort and energy and money on video production, I cannot, I cannot fathom at this point taking my $2,000 lenses or $3,000 lenses or 50, it doesn't matter. I can't, I can't imagine taking that, like my 70-200-2.8 and throwing on a VND and destroying the image on it. You know what I mean? Like I spent too much money on the lenses I own, too much money on the cameras and too much time into learning how to you know, get nice shots that I don't want to throw a VND in the front of my lens and screw it all up. Because to me, they look like trash. And the only time I'll ever use them is if I'm super running and gunning. Like I have a shoot coming up next month at a hunting outfit. It's a marketing project. It's my second trip out there. And I am going to be using my A1s inside of hunting blinds to film whitetail footage. And I'm also required to shoot photographs. I'm going to be using a VND on my A1s for that specific shoot so that I can use my A1s, keep them lightweight, film the footage of the deer, and then I have these pop-up magnets that my VND screw into. I'll pop the ND up, switch over to photo mode, and bang out some stills. That is a situation where I'll use them, but very rarely. Like if I'm shooting any sort of project I care about that's not run and gun, forget about it. I'm not using VNDs. So because of that, I have solid NDs. On my A1s, if I want to add, you know, my A1s are mirrorless cameras. They don't have built-in ND, obviously. So if I want to add ND, I'll pop in a three-stop ND or my six-stop ND, or I'll stack them together to create um, a nine-stop ND. Works really well and allows me to have three, six, or nine stops, which typically covers everything. So I can go clear, three, six, or nine. And I can fine-tune with my uh, lens's aperture to fine-tune it from there. Um, and then on my FX6, I sometimes will use a three-stop ND. Now, my FX6 has built-in variable NDs, but they range from two stops to seven stops. Sometimes, if it's the middle of the day and I'm wanting to shoot wide open with my 51.2 or my 35 1.4 lens, if I'm shooting at an F1.4 or F1.2 in bright daylight, seven stops of ND in the FX6 is not enough. So I'll pop a three-stop ND into my matte box and now I have, instead of a two to seven stop ND on my FX6, I now have a five to 10 stop ND, and that's plenty. So I use the solid NDs on my FX6 as well. Um, and then where I use the clear filter is, well, number one, it's a protective filter. I don't always use it, but if I'm shooting, like let's say I'm getting a shot of someone on a dirt bike trail and I know they're gonna be slinging dirt, I'll pop it, if I'm using a matte box, I'll pop a clear filter in front of my matte box and 
it'll take the dirt front or dust or whatever from the dirt bike and protect the lens. I can replace that filter a lot easier than I can replacing um, the uh, glass on my lens. And I will tell you guys, as a side note, I used to use UV or protective filters that screwed into my lenses. All my lenses always, as soon as I bought them, I put screw, screw in filters in them. I actually quit doing that. Um, I don't like screw in filters anymore. I kind of just, am, I don't like taking them on, putting them on and taking them off all the time, which you have to if I use a clamp on matte box. Uh, plus, I sometimes felt like they were affecting the image quality a little bit. So I no longer use uh, filters on my lenses. My filters are bare lensed. My camera, my lenses are bare lens now, unless I'm using a matte box. Um, so if I am in a situation where I need to protect the glass, I use a clear filter on my matte box. Another reason I have clear filter for my matte box is this. If I'm using a camera, like let's say I've got my FX6, and let's say I've got a 3514 prime on it, and I'm using it outside in bright daylight, shooting at f1.4. I said a minute ago that the ND inside the FX6 is not strong enough to block out the light to be able for me to shoot at wide open uh, and bright daylight. So I'll pop a three-stop ND in my matte box. And let's say I have that, that camera, that lens, that matte box, and that three-stop ND filter all balanced on a gimbal. Just did this last week on that college shoot. And let's say I'm doing that outside and I'm getting my shot on the gimbal, but now I need to go inside and get a shot. Well, when I go inside, I don't need the ND filter anymore, right? Because I'm going from bright daylight outside to inside where I no longer need the ND. Well, if I take the ND out of the matte box, when I go inside, my, my camera is no longer balanced on the gimbal anymore. Because when you remove that piece of glass, it changes the balance point of your camera. So if I take that filter, that ND filter off of my matte box and then go inside the building, I'm going to have to rebalance my gimbal. But because I have clear filters, when I go from outside to inside, I can pop that three-stop ND out of my matte box and pop the clear filter in. They're the same brand, so they weigh the exact same. So when I pop that clear filter into my matte box, the balance point does not change. So my matte box still um, is on the camera and I'm still have perfect balance. I just simply swap the ND out for a clear filter. And so it allows me to maintain balance. And then when I go from inside to back outside, I can pop the clear filter off, pop the ND back in, and now I'm ready to go. And again, I'm not having to rebalance the camera. So that's a huge thing for me. So that's those three filters. That, that explains the clear, the three stop, and the six stop. Next is the graduated ND. I said earlier that I use graduated NDs or grads for sunrises or sunsets, things like that, time lapses, where I'm shooting into the sun and I know the sky is gonna be really bright, but I don't wanna make, I don't wanna darken the image for the sky, but then lose all the detail on the landscape. So I use a three-stop graduated filter for those circumstances so that I can add ND to the sky, but keep my landscape nice and bright so that I have an even exposure across the entire frame. This is far more effective than trying to do it in post and gives you more natural results. And you could tweak it in post from there, but it's a good starting point and increases the dynamic range of the shot naturally in camera. 
And I don't use hard graduated filters. I use soft grads. So it starts at three stops at the top of the frame and then slowly fades its way into clear at the bottom of the frame. I find that those are more useful because you can use them more naturally and, and shine them towards uneven landscapes. So I use a three stop graduated ND for any sort of landscape shot, whether it's a time lapse or panning shot, where I'm going to be having a bright light you know, in the sky, and I want to have a still have an evenly exposed foreground. Next up is the um, circular polarizer. Now, there is a misconception. A lot of people think circular polarizer means that the polarizer is round, like it's a screw on, like round polarizer. Um, but that's not what a circular polarizer is. A circular polarizer means that the polarization is circular. There are two types of polarizers, linear and circular. And how they polarize an image is based upon whether the polarization is circular or linear. You can buy a round polarizer that screws into your lens that's linear, and you can buy a rectangular 4x5.65 matte box filter that's circular. So it's counterintuitive. A lot of people think circular polarizer means it's just a round polarizer, but it actually means it has a circular polarization effect. Circular polarizers are more modern and they work with autofocusing capable cameras. Linear polarizers are a little more old school and they don't really work well with autofocusing cameras. That's a, that's a, explanation I don't want to go into, but I'll just tell you this, it trips up the autofocus. So I have circular polarizers. Uh, for my Misfit Atom Pola Plus, the one that has the circular tray in it, for that matte box, I've got a 138 millimeter circular polarizer that I put, I load into that round tray, and then I just spin the filter inside the matte box. For my Misfit Atom that's the non-Pola Plus version that does not have a circular tray. For that one, I have a 4x5.65 rectangular circular polarizer. And to use the polarizer, I actually spin the matte box, which I can do because it's a clampon matte box. So I just loosen it, spin it, until I get the desired polarization effect. Um, I use polarizers just simply for cutting glare on glass or water or off of shiny objects. That's it. Uh, I have friends that use polarizers for everything. I have a friend that's like, oh, I use polarizers on literally every shoot. It's on every shot. I never take it off. I don't understand that because to me, that's causing problems in your image because a polarizer, you spend the polarizer to get the desired effect. But as your camera moves around, the polarization changes because it's all based on the angle uh, of which your camera is pointed toward the light. So if you have a polarizer on and you're getting a handheld shot, for example, and you're moving around in the frame and following some action, the polarization effect is going to change throughout the shot, which is going to make the shot look weird. So I don't understand why people throw circular polarizers in front of the, their camera for video and leave them there. To me, that's not a very good move. I think if you're going to use a circular polarizer, you need to use it with a, a specific shot that you have in mind with a specific purpose. Like, hey, I'm shooting a, a shot of a car 
and I'm getting a driver getting in the car and I want to cut glare on the glass. You'd load up a polarizer and you either spin the polarizer or you spin the matte box, one or the other, until the glare on the glass goes away. You get your shot and then you take it off, take the polarizer out of the matte box and you move on with your life. Um, maybe you're doing the same thing. You've, you've got a shot of water that you want to get, but you want to cut the glare. You load the polarizer up, you spin it until the glare is gone, you get your shot, and then you take your polarizer back out. I don't think it is smart to leave a circular polarizer on your camera. You may not have noticed it, but you probably are actually altering your image um, with an undesired effect by leaving it on all the time. So I have friends that do that. I don't know why they do that. I don't think that's a good move. I think it should only be there to cut glare on glass, water, shiny objects, shiny floors, that kind of thing, and should be used for a specific purpose and then removed. Um, but I do have a circular polarizer for each of my matte box, and I use them for, um, for cutting glare. The other two filters I have are Black Pro Mist 1 16th and 1 8th filters. I have one of each strength. I don't personally like one quarter, one half, or above um, mist filters. I think they become too strong for my taste. I like a little bit of diffusion that's soft and subtle and with a nice little bloom on highlights, but I don't like it to be so much so that it's in your face. Um, my wife and I started a series on Netflix yesterday uh, called The Watcher. Um, I kind of quit watching it because I just wasn't that into it, but I noticed that they had some sort of diffusion filter on their glass because it was blooming the highlights a lot and in some of the window shots it was actually kind of distracting to me and that's what I that's what I don't like and some people like it I mean the DP for that shoot clearly liked that and that's what you know that was their intended look but for me that's a real stylized thing that's just not my taste if I'm going to own a diffusion filter I want it to be a filter I could see myself using all the time not something that I might use once and never use again so for that purpose, that's why I own Black Pro Mist. Black Pro Mist filters keep your contrast levels nice and clean, but also bloom highlights and soften detail like skin tone. But if you buy it in lower strengths, like, like 1 16th or 1 8th, then it, it has a nice subtle effect that people can look at it and they can't really put their finger on what it is, but there's just something about your, your images that look cinematic and it's it's a lot of times it's just the filter uh, i was i had i was on a shoot for a sorority some of you have seen this project um the sorority at texas state university i did a project for last year um no was that the, this year i did it earlier this year and um if you watch that video i was using um not black pro mist but regular white pro mist filters um for that shoot and i remember i hired a camera op to run the gimbal cam for me she drove down from dallas she's a great shooter her name is amanda campbell and uh i remember we were halfway through the shoot and amanda asked me do you have some sort of a, a diffusion filter on your glass because it just has this look about it and i was like yeah i do she noticed it right away and she's like man this is gorgeous i was like i know it just looks good that was not black pro mist that was a standard mist filter um, which is very similar to black pro mist. It's just instead of black flakes it's or black mist, it's it's white colored, so it kind of lifted the shadows too. Really pretty, but still a little stylized for my taste. I loved it for that shoot, but it's not something I'd use on every shoot. So when I own mist or diffusion filters, I want to own ones that 
I could use all the time, not just for a stylized shoot like that sorority project. So that's why I own Black Pro Mist because they add a nice subtle effect to detail on objects and skin tones. They slightly bloom the highlights, but they do not lift the shadows. They keep them uh, nice and normal so everything looks proper in your shadows. And that's more of a standard filter you can use every day if you wanted. And a lot of times I'll even do corporate shoots with one quarter, or excuse me, one sixteenth or one eighth Black Pro Mist filters loaded up um, just because I want to add that nice, subtle, beautiful softening effect that just gives my images just a little bit better of a look, but without overdoing it. And so that's why I have Black Pro Mist because they retain that shadow information and, and without lifting the shadows and because they're nice and subtle. And that's also why I own them in 1 16th and 1 8th and not any strength higher than that. Now, if I want, I will clearly rent filters like White Pro Mist, Glamour Glass. You know, there are all kinds of filters out there that diffuse images in different ways, some that warm them. I mentioned that earlier. I'll rent those for stylized shoots like music videos and whatnot. But for ownership, if you're going to own diffusion filters, I like Black Pro Mist because they're, sh they're filters I could use on every shoot because um, they, they they achieve a nice softening effect, uh, but, but without altering the image so much that it's like really noticeable. I like it for, it to, for people to look at it and be like, man, there's just something about this that looks different but not be able to understand or explain what it is. That's what I like. And I think Black Pro Mist, that, I think they achieve that really well. And I think that's why they are by far the most popular uh, diffusion filters on the market, which again is why Polar Pro is missing the beat here because theirs are proprietary and their matte boxes and they don't make Black Pro Mist filters. So if you own a Polar Pro matte box, you can't use the industry standard diffusion filter, which is Black Pro Mist. <laughs> that's the most basic, most common filter out there for diffusion and you can't even use them on the Polar Pro. So uh, that is my um, <laughs> rant of Polar Pro there. But anyway, so I do own those. Um, one thing to note about diffusion filters is the longer the focal length your lens, the more the diffusion effect takes place. That's one of the reasons I own a 1 16th and a 1 8th um, because as I go wide, if I'm using like a uh, 16 to 35 or 24 prime or 35 prime, sometimes the one eighth filter effect might not be noticeable enough. So I'll pop, I mean, uh, the one sixteenth might not be noticeable enough. So I'll, I'll use a one eighth for those wider lenses. But the other day, for example, I was shooting a football scene for my college project. So I was filming some football. I was on, I got a media pass. I'm on the sideline of the SFA football game, filming shots of the game. And I wanted to diffuse the shots. So I was using a filter, uh, diffusion filter, but a one eighth on a, I was using a 100 to 400 millimeter lens. So I could zoom into the action. A one eighth mist would have been too strong on my 100 and 400, uh, for the effect I was going for. So for that, a 1 16th, because I'm using such a long focal length, makes more sense. So that's why I own both a 1 16th and a 1 8th. Um, so I use the 1 16th. Uh, anytime I go from like a 70 to 200 and up, I use a 1 16th. And then for anything below, I use the 1 8th. Anyway, that's the filters that I own. That's a brief bit about filters um, and about matte boxes. Again, my advice is... Um, if you want to start looking into a matte box, they're great tools. Um, yes, they will make your cameras look more pro, but that's not the reason to buy them. If you're going to buy them, buy them to block light, control flare, which I use them for that all the time, um, and also buy ones that you can put filters into um, so that you can use them to experiment with different filter effects, whether it's adding ND to your lenses or etc. cetera. Um, 
And again, on the VND thing, for those of you listening, who's, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to talk bad about your VNDs if you use them. Again, I have a couple by Lee. They're fine for run and gun stuff. I'm just trying to encourage people to think about the negative effects of VND for commercial applications. So if you're doing anything with a higher budget, buy some solid NDs and thank me later. Um, you'll get your image quality back. Um, but buy, buy matte boxes, not just because they look cool. Buy them to use them f- to add filters or to block or control flare. That's their purpose. Um, my recommendation is look at some lightweight options and uh, you know get something cheaper to begin with, um, but then move your way up as you get more experience and you learn um, more about your matte box and what filters you like and don't like. Um, and again, only get ones that are going to take industry standard filters. It's a better investment for the future. I hope you guys found this podcast interesting. I know that um, matte boxes and filters are not the most fascinating topic, but I do feel that um, this podcast should help some of you out there who are unsure of what a matte box is and the purpose, or maybe you are looking at a matte box, but you're not sure what to get or what filters to get for it. Maybe you'll learn a little bit from this podcast. I hope you did. Um, be sure to go to filming with Josh on Facebook. Ask to join the group today. If you're not already a member, I look forward to seeing you there and, uh, yeah, guys, until next week, see you then. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.